Good evening, listeners. It is the 19th of August, 2018, and you are tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It is currently just after 7 p.m., and on a Sunday, that can only mean one thing. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Lori Lutz. And I'm Adrian Gallo. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a student at OSU and interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out all about the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration, where you can find out all about our upcoming guests and links to our Twitter and Facebook pages. Inspiration dissemination is recorded live, and should they occur, any opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily represent Oregon State University or the station. Tonight, we are joined by Katie Bear Nalvin. Katie, we are so happy you can join us. Um, can you just get us started by telling us a little bit about your research? Yeah, sure. Well, hi, I'm happy to be here. Uh, So my research is all about finding social solutions to plastic pollution. So as many of us know, there are a lot of plastic pieces out there in the ocean, and that's becoming a really big problem for a lot of different ecosystems. And through, uh, you know, the chain, it's also affecting us, too. So Uh, I kind of chose this issue as a, you know, there's all sorts of issues going on in the ocean. There's ocean acidification, global warming, all of these things that are sort of abstract for a lot of people to understand and connect to. But um, plastics really can't be argued. The source can't be argued. It it lies with us here. And so with that, um, approaching it through a social science and... um, trying to understand what people's barriers are to reducing their plastic use and um, what their possible motivations might be to move forward to reduce that use is, in essence, what my research is all about. So one thing that I I see in your research as being a lot different than many others that we would see is instead of looking at just identifying the problem and just providing people the information – you also want to change human behavior or identify ways that uh, behavior can be changed or modified to decrease our plastic pollution. But before we get to that, I do want to ask, um, why is it or do you have any uh, ideas as to why just giving people information about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch or the fact that there are microplastics found everywhere around the world? Like, Why does giving that information to people not do enough to actually change their behaviors? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, The short answer is um, the way people work and our brains are messy and it's hard to understand. (laughs) Um, But in essence, there's a lot of uh, psychology research out there that says information alone isn't enough. You can tell people all day long about um, some thing, whatever you want to tell them about. And just because they have the knowledge doesn't mean that that's going to translate to an actual behavior change. So with that, you really have to understand, well, what do people know about this? What do they want to know about it? Why should they care? And why should they take that step into changing their everyday life? Um, So behavior change is something that's really hard to do. But through the platform that I'm using, which is based out of community-based social marketing, it's a kind of been shown as a way to 
maybe get in there a little bit more and provide messages that are a bit more actionable for people. Can we dive into that a little bit more? Yeah. Because uh, so you're you're a master's student, and this platform you're using is a five step process essentially. But while it may be targeting a more a, a smaller subset of people, like instead of like the the general public, it targets a smaller community. But the idea is that it's way more effective in its target community to actually implement some kind of uh, change or behavioral modification. So, can you walk through like the uh, like the architecture of how this works? Yeah, certainly. So, uh, community-based social marketing, like you said, it's five steps. So, with that, you want to first and foremost understand the population, the group that you're communicating with. And the idea behind that is, I mean, people here in Oregon are going to respond differently to different environmental messages than people in some other part of the country would. I think that's can be said. I think that's pretty easily agreeable for everybody that we're different in different places and different communities are different. So you want to understand your group and you want to understand their beliefs, their values, their morals, their social norms. And then you want to identify the behavior that you wish to change. Um, So in this case, like we're talking about single-use plastic items. And then from there, you want to identify those barriers. So there could be a lot of different barriers. Maybe alternatives to those single-use plastic items are too expensive. Uh, Maybe it's just plastics too convenient. A lot of times a barrier could be awareness, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And then with that, you want to draft your messages so that you're removing as many of those barriers as possible. And from there, um, you want to like pilot and evaluate your product. So your work is certainly translational to different Mm -hmm. regions, but can you tell us a little bit more specifically about what you're doing and what steps you've taken at the Oregon Coast Aquarium? Yeah, certainly. So uh, my work is all based at the Oregon Coast Aquarium, like you just mentioned. And with that, there's also lots of previous research that shows that visitors to a zoo or aquarium are different than the general public. And even furthermore, Visitors to aquariums also tend to be a little bit different than visitors to a zoo. So even in a very similar settings, right there is a good example how your target audience might be a little bit different. Uh, so right now in my research is uh, I've developed a few surveys, and I actually just now finished up the uh, second set of surveys at the Oregon Coast Aquarium, which was all about identifying um, some of those behavior, or excuse me, those barriers and uh, people's background knowledge and what they might be willing to do. So we're sort of moving into drafting our messages now. The first part of this project was trying to examine how people thought about plastic or whether or not they even knew about plastic pollution. So do you have any insights on, on that as to how well accepted people knew about this issue? Yeah, so the very first uh, survey that I did, it was an interview, so I would just stop people at the aquarium and be like, hey, can I bug you for 10 minutes? And a lot of times people were like, no. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But eventually I got a lot of people that said yes. I kind of had to plead with them a lot and be like, please, I'm a graduate student. I need this so I can get out of school. Um, (laughs) But uh, so this was just a complete open-ended interview, and the very first question on there was just, What are some um, issues that you think about the ocean or what are some general ocean concerns that you might have? And to my surprise, um, 54% of my respondents actually said plastic. 
So I was really shocked by that. I was expecting the awareness level to be a lot lower than it is. And um, with that 54%, that's people that thought of this on their own. That's not even people, you know, there's probably a lot more people out there that recognize that as an issue. It's just this was the first thing that came to people's mind. For that to come unprompted and for that to be more than half of the of the population that you surveyed, that's really impressive. Yeah, I was really shocked. And, you know, I honestly think I have no way to prove this, um, but I think that if that question was asked maybe even just a year or two years earlier, uh, there's no way that number would have been that high. I think plastic pollution has sort of um, really blown up in like social media and just in pop culture very recently. So with that, I'm going to put a plug for our social media platform. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can check out our blog at blogs.edu or blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration where we have um, five or six uh, different uh, kind of uh, Smithsonian articles, some science articles, some nature research articles, and then one in particular, a National Geographic article called uh, Plastic or Planet that was um, a really well-received article, really well done. Um, I highly recommend uh, giving that giving that a look. And beautiful photography. Really as beautiful expected. photography, yeah, yeah. As, as expected. <laughs> Um, okay, so you're now kind of in the second phase of this research where you've gone past the um, the figuring out who who is your target audience and what they already know about. So this second phase is kind of doing another survey that you mentioned you just finished. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so uh, this second survey, uh, this was a questionnaire. So I had a bunch of different questions on sort of a bipolar or Likert scale. Um, and the idea of that was to try and get at strong barriers from weak barriers and also what people are willing to do, what they're already doing. And so, for example, you know, I found that I don't have my um, statistics analyzed yet or anything like I just finished like two days ago. But um, this is a discussion section. (laughs) Yes. It can be fluffy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there was a lot of respondents who are like, yeah, I already use my refillable water bottle every day. I already bring my bags to the store. So that's kind of something that we probably don't really need to focus on in our messages. People are already doing that. Um, And then I also ask questions like, well, what would you be willing to do in the future? Are you willing to bring your own to-go boxes to restaurants? Are you willing to use uh, different types of straws? Carry your own straw, carry your own utensils with you. sort of things like that, uh, reusable produce bags, things like that. And uh, so I haven't really looked at it yet, but just sort of on a surface level, I have found, for example, that a lot of people were like, you know what, yeah, I think I would actually be using, be willing to buy reusable produce bags and bring that to the store in addition to my bags that I take to check out. So the idea of that is saying like, okay, well, if people are like kind of in the middle saying I would probably do this or I'm definitely willing to do this, then those are things that we can include in messages versus people saying I'm definitely not willing to do that. So we're trying to target our messages based on those responses so that our messages are, you know, resonate the best. And so the surveys that you've conducted so far have been exclusively at the Oregon Coast Aquarium, correct? Correct. But you have some other locations where you're um, going to be seeking information from different demographics, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, correct. So um, the messages that I'm going to be developing are specific to the Oregon Coast Aquarium, but I'm also going to use that same questionnaire, the bipolar Likert type one, at Marine Discovery Tours, which is in Newport. It's an ecotourism company. And then also at Ralph 
Ralph's down in Waldport, Oregon. And the whole point of that is to say, hey, look, respondents at the Oregon Coast Aquarium were different than respondents here at these places. So the messages that we would use for the aquarium versus these other sites would be different. Mm-hmm. So it's just the point of using the other sites is sort of to like reaffirm the idea that different populations are different. And Ralph's is a grocery store? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. yeah. So if you were just using the Oregon Coast Aquarium uh, kind of survey results, then you would run into the issue of like self-selection bias, where there's the people that will go to the aquariums that kind of self-select to go to the aquarium. So the messages are only going to work for like those kind of people. But if you expand that to uh, to other kind of local community stakeholders, then the message can resonate to a little bit broader audience. Yeah. So, um, you know, the respondents that we get from the aquarium are definitely going to have a heavier weight in how we draft those messages because those the people that are self-selecting to go to the aquarium are the people who are going to listen to the messages <laughs> at the aquarium, right? Um, but yeah, just the, kind of the idea here is that the messages from this project are only going to be applicable to that audience at the aquarium. But the tools that I'm developing and the methods that I'm developing here, uh, that's what's really translatable to um, really any organization or anything that wants to communicate about plastic pollution or even some other environmental issues. So the hopes here is that if this project's received well, um, that it can really be applicable to a lot of other areas. I want to ask about your advisor because I think it's a really interesting dynamic that you have. And I get the sense that your advisor would definitely push your research on to the next graduate student that she takes. I would love her to do that. Yeah, my advisor is amazing. I couldn't have asked for someone better. Uh, Her name is uh, Dr. Carrie Carlin Morgan, and she is the education director at the Oregon Coast Aquarium. And yeah, she's really just an inspiration. She's great. And um, so... One area that my project is not doing uh, that is actually traditional to community-based social marketing is the evaluation, you know, saying like, okay, well, how well did our messages work? And my project's not doing that because I want to get out of school yeah, uh, at some you, point, right? You are, like, you are a master's student. You can't be stuck at Oregon State forever. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't want to be, so. <laughs> not, you don't want to be a slowly PhD student. <laughs> no please (laughs) Um, so yeah I would love her to get another graduate student in the future that would actually be interested in doing like a pre and post survey and like following up with people you know months to weeks or whatever down the line to see yeah did a visit to the Oregon Coast Aquarium actually do anything in their everyday life that would I think that'd be really interesting so shout out to all you undergraduates listening um there's a contact information in our blog. Yep. Yeah, her, her contact <laughs> There's a potential project there for you. Uh, and speaking of the Oregon Coast Aquarium, uh, if you could pass along the word to, because I know you also work there, which I want to get to in a moment. <laughs> if you could pass along the word to whoever does the social media, you should check out Oregon Coast Aquarium's Twitter feed. They are so good. Oh, the yeah. Photos Sally pre- is amazing. Yeah. Give yeah. Sally a double thumbs up. Her like comments and photos and are so good. Like they make me laugh every time I, I look through their feed. She's also like the coolest lady ever. So. <laughs> she does lots of Facebook live stuff. Like when we do special things with like feeding our seals and sea lions live fish or like doing something cute with our otters. We do paint with our otters. It's amazing. Paint with your... Okay, this is a time... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's dive into this okay, because yeah. you have a really cool job. Um, okay, so for those listeners just joining us, you are listening to Inspiration Dissemination and we're speaking to Katie Bear-Nablin. Oh, wait. 
Nalvin. Nalvin, you got it. Okay, yep. Nalvin, sorry. And uh, and she, I think you have a, one of the more interesting uh, kind of graduate ma- graduate appointments here because yeah. you are doing your master's, but you're also working at the Oregon Coast Aquarium. So tell us a little bit how that works and also mm-hmm. kind of the odds and ends jobs that you're actually doing there, like painting with... What? That's so cool. I mean, cool. I don't personally paint with the otters. The otters are the artists themselves. The seals and sea lions do it too. Um, sometimes the birds. Everyone's an artist, right? Um, the world's a stage, I guess. Uh, yeah, so I do work at the Oregon Coast Aquarium, so I am hired as a member of the education staff. And with that, um, I do a lot of things that any other staff member there would do. So um, I am responsible for like a lot of the public programs so we do like little plankton stations and get people to come up and look at plankton under microscopes we do like a pelican presentation um you know if you've ever been to like a zoo or an aquarium and you get to like watch it watch the trainers feed the animals and there's like somebody on the microphone telling you all this stuff and you're like wow that person's a nerd that's what I do. I'm the nerd on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure the nerd on the microphone gets very excited when they're talking about all kinds of cool animals all behind them. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm really enjoying it there. So you're now at Oregon State University doing your graduate project, but we want to learn a little bit more about how you got here in your journey. <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, uh, where should I begin? (laughs) Um, Well, Adrian and I know you have a very interesting story about a walrus experience, and I want you to tell us about that first. Oh, yeah, my walrus. Yeah, so, you know, I don't really remember, like, the first time I was at a zoo. I'm pretty sure my parents took me there when I was, like, you know, one day or something. But (laughs) I do remember one of my most memorable times, and that was uh, at SeaWorld San Diego. I was, like, 9 or 10, and I was there with uh, my dad and brother on, like, a weekend trip or something. And, um... We spent, like, the day at SeaWorld, and we did, like, all the things, you know, we got to, like, see Shamu do his thing and all the stuff. And, you know, I had a good day, but it wasn't, like, perfect, and we're, like, leaving SeaWorld because they're closing, and I was kind of bummed out, and my dad could tell, and he's like, why are you why are you upset? I thought you had fun. I was like, I did, but I didn't get to see the Arctic Zone, and my dad's like, Oh no! You know he's like, I paid for this. Like, however much SeaWorld costs, I have no idea. Probably. And they're like a trying lot. to shuffle people oh, out of SeaWorld yeah, at this point. Yeah, right? yeah. So you know, like they're like SeaWorld's closed. Like, go home. And my dad's like, no, no, no. Like, we paid, and you want to see the Arctic? Like, we're going to the Arctic. I, I, I imagine like it's it's you and your family going against like the five hundred people. It's like the like the fish going the wrong way in the pack. Oh yeah, that was that's totally what it was like. Like people are staring at us. They're like, "Hey, buddy, it's closed." And my dad's like waving his hands, like whatever. Um, <laughs> so we're like walking back against the crowd, and we find like the entrance to the Arctic Zone habitat, and um, it's closed. Like Sea World's closed, right? Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, dad, it's closed. Like too bad." And I thought we were gonna go. My dad's like. No, so he lifts, like, the velvet rope thing that they had to close <laughs> off with and, like, shoves me under. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I was, like, 9 or 10. Like, I was old enough to know this was wrong. But I was like, my dad says it's okay. So, and, uh, 
So we like walk down the steps and it leads to like one of those aquariums that like you're at the bottom and you can like look up and see the whole thing and all the lights were off. It was totally dark in there. I had no idea what was inside this aquarium. And then like all of a sudden out of like the depths of this like dark water comes this like massive beast and he had these huge tusks and the mustache and then this walrus just like swims up right to where I am and I just lost my mind. I thought it was the coolest thing in the entire world and like... My day was complete, and my dad's like, okay, now we can go. And, <laughs> yeah. and then him being, like, the really amazing dad that he is bought me, like, a stuffy, a walrus stuffy. And uh, I took that thing to college with me. <laughs> and then um, I, I actually think that's probably how I got to um, where I am in sort of a turn of events. I was, like, in my senior year studying and I like I hated organic chemistry, but um, <laughs> that's what I was studying and I was losing my mind. And uh, I was like a few months from graduating and I needed to figure out something to do for the summer. And uh, so I looked back and saw my stuffy walrus on my college dorm bed. And I was like, hmm, walruses live in Alaska. And I uh, just Googled Alaska summer jobs. And not too long after I graduated, like three days after I graduated or something, I was I was in Alaska and I I blame that walrus in San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it was it was almost on a whim that you decided to go to uh, to Alaska. But I mean, like any college student graduating, you just needed a job, any job. And this seemed like the right place. So tell us a little bit about what you did there. Uh, so I worked as a whale watching naturalist, um, which yeah, that was a really exciting job, especially being fresh out of college. Um, at the time, I had no idea that, like, Alaska even had a huge tourism scene. Like I said, it was just totally, like, Google jobs, and somehow I got it. <laughs> and you knew a lot about whales, right? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I know I thought they were cool. Like, that was about the extent of my whale knowledge when I first got hired. Like, I, you know, I sent my resume to the company, and they said they'd interview me, and then, like, the next day I like read everything on Wikipedia about whales and uh during the interview they're like well tell us what you know about whales and I said everything I knew and they're like you read the Wikipedia page didn't you and I was like yeah and they're like okay well we'll teach you but we like your spirit (laughs) (laughs) they're like we'll tell you what you got wrong we'll teach you um you know and I got my degree in biology but they didn't really offer like marine mammal 101 (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that just goes to show that Wikipedia could be a really nice stepping stone for you to go to Alaska and be a whale watching guide. Yeah, right. yeah. Read Wikipedia. It's a, it's a great start. <laughs> so you enjoyed Alaska so much you went back multiple times. Yeah, I did. Um, so the whales are only up there in the summertime. Um, that's where their feeding grounds are. So the jobs up there are seasonal and the summertime is also the only time when the cruise ships want to go up there. So the tourists are also only up there in the summertime. So it's all dependent on that. Um So I'd go up there for the summer, and then in the winters I would do different things. So my very first winter out of college, I did a wildlife rehabilitation internship down in Florida, which was really awesome. And that's where I learned I didn't want to be a vet, which was also really awesome. (laughs) And uh, and then the next winter after that, um, well, then I went back to Alaska for the summer. And then the next winter I followed the whales down to Hawaii, and uh, then I followed them back up to Alaska. (laughs) And then I decided to stay put because I loved it there so much. Okay, if, if our listeners are keeping track, you grew up in Arizona, went to school in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and then went to Alaska for the first summer, and then Florida 
for the winter and then back to Alaska for mm-hmm. the second summer. Yeah. And then Hawaii, Hawaii for the winter. Yep. And then Alaska. And then back to Alaska. And yes. then Oregon. And then Oregon, yes. But the last time you went to Alaska, you stayed the I, whole year. I did, yeah. Um, I just really loved it up there. You know, a lot of people are like, isn't it just like dark and cold in the winter? And um, I mean, yeah, but it's not as bad as you would think. Um, so I was in Juneau, which as far um, as far as Alaska is considered, like Juneau's south, uh, so you do have darkness, but it's not like 24 hour darkness and it's not even as cold as you might think. And it's kind of nice cause during the winter, um, it really slows down cause those cruise ships aren't there and it really just becomes a very local community and, you know, and the Northern lights are there in the winter too, which is incredible. Oh, man. It's on my bucket list. I know. I, I, worked, yeah. I worked in Southeast Alaska for a couple of summers, mm-hmm. but I was too far South that I didn't get to see oh, the Northern lights. Yeah. Got to go to Juneau. Got to go to Juneau. Okay. Or higher up. Or, yeah, or higher up. Okay, so can you tell us actually a little bit about what you learned in your vet internship when you were in Florida that you decided, I don't want to be a vet? Yeah, um, so growing up, like, I always knew I wanted to work with animals. That's just something that makes me happy. So that's kind of why I decided to pursue that degree in biology. And, um, you know, when you're an undergrad, especially in biology, they kind of like funnel you and down like the medical route, like it's all medical, all medical. And, um, but like, I didn't want to do that. So veterinary stuff was kind of always in the back of my mind. I don't think I ever really wanted to be a vet. It was just kind of, it made sense. Like I work with animals and I got a degree in biology, go to vet school. Um, but I did get that internship and I actually, I really loved that internship. Um, it was really cool getting all the hands-on experience with all of this wildlife. Um, but it was just, I don't know, there's just something about it. It just didn't quite fit with what I wanted to do. I can't, I've never really been able to put my finger on it, but I, I did learn that the vet life wasn't what I wanted to do. So now that you're at Oregon State and you're finishing up more or less, what do you have next on the horizon? Well, that's like the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> um, Do you have your walrus nearby? Yeah. Uh, you know, he's he's back at home. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm probably going to start asking that walrus more, more life questions here shortly. But I don't really know what my next steps are. Um, one thing that's really nice about the route that I've pursued here is it has opened up a lot of doors and a lot of different pathways. You know, I could focus more on plastics. I could kind of dive more into marine resource type things or um, focus more on like the education route and like free choice learning, like the aquariums. Um, but I definitely left my heart back there in Juneau, Alaska, and I'd really love to go back there for it if all the stars aligned. Nice. So, uh, you know, the stars are aligning to the end of our show time. <laughs> and we have two, uh, two things that we always do with our guests. And the first is we ask them for advice. So what advice do you have and whom is it for? Um, am I supposed to say like something like Mickey Mouse, like you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> whenever, whenever you have to um, share. Yeah. Like, uh, go, go visit Alaska. That's, yeah. a, that's good advice. <laughs> that's my advice. Go visit Alaska. Alaska's really cool. <laughs> um, well, I guess the the piece of advice that's always stuck with me is something that I got from my brother when I was uh, graduating from high school. And he wrote it in a letter. It's how he concluded the letter. And he said, uh, don't take it too seriously. It's only life after all. 
Um, but then he kind of put a caveat on that and was like, but when it does get too serious, there's always drugs and sex and whiskey, so you'll be good. (laughs) (laughs) That was my brother saying that. (laughs) It's an 18-year-old you graduated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was my brother. I'm not condoning all of those things. (laughs) It's just a quote. (laughs) So we have another tradition, Mm -hmm. and that is for you to choose a song for us to outro on. So can you tell us what song you chose and why you chose it? Oh, uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Uh, just sort of a little family anthem. I love it. Sounds good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Katie, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, and, thanks so uh, much for having me.